these words in Psalm 8, verses 1 through 5. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who has set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, you, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? You've made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. There are two overlapping things that happen in verses three and four. In verse three, the psalmist looks upward to the vast heavens. He, he looks to the moon and he looks to the stars. He's looking at that night sky. And as he looks at that night sky, he thinks very carefully about the immensity of God, the limitlessness of God. And then in verse 4, he wonders about that. His look to the vast heavens produces a question that is really a declaration of wonder. (laughs) Who are we that you give any attention to us at all? Who are we that you would even come to our aid? Who are we? He's contemplating the greatness of God. And it causes him to wonder. When was the last time you felt that kind of wonder? Fifty years ago, mankind took his first steps on that very moon that God set in place there in verse 3. In April, uh, we had the opportunity to visit the Kennedy Space Center. Never been there before. It was pretty cool to go there. And, 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 and what was really neat, we didn't get to actually go like right next to it, but, but we, we were able to drive out on, on that bus and see the, the, the pad where the Apollo 11 mission was launched and launched man to the moon. It was just, I mean, we're still a distance, but it was just it's pretty neat to be there and, and, and to see there. Especially, I was thinking about, especially since, I, I, you know, I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure that I remember watching this whole thing on TV, all right? I, I you know, I, I may have, I just have this vague recollection. I, I know that when man walked on the moon, it was past my bedtime, all right? It was probably about three hours past my bedtime, and my, my parents were pretty much sticklers on bedtime. Um, so I, I've watched, I, I've watched some of the anniversary specials in this, in this past year, and and I think in that I've come to a new appreciation of how astonishing that mission was. We're told that the moon landing was and, and remains the biggest television event of all time. 94% of TV-owning Americans tuned into that. And it's been estimated that uh, 650 million people watch worldwide. People stopped 
And they, you can look at pictures, and they gazed wide-eyed. And in some cases, mouths open or hands over their mouths as man took those first steps on the moon. And, and as I was watching again the, the, the retelling of all of that, I realized that that was, that was very much a unifying moment for humanity. As one of our own left the atmosphere of this earth and stepped for the first time onto an extraterrestrial surface. The, the crew, when they, when they returned home, they, they were given a hero's welcome. Uh, they embarked on a, on a global tour. They were received into, into presidential palaces and kings and queens' palaces, and they were hailed as heroes around the world. Let me ask you a question. Do you know who flew Apollo 12, and do you know when it flew? Some of you might. I don't. NASA planned to continue lunar missions through Apollo 20. Less than six months later, Apollo 20 was canceled. Eight months later, after that moon landing, Apollo 19 was canceled. At its peak in all of that, the, the NASA workforce was, was 400,000 strong. Six months after the moon landing, it had shrunk to 190,000, and there were plans to cut another 50,000. Just three and a half years after the world stood awestruck at man's feet of walking on the moon, the Apollo program to the moon was done. Well, why was that? Well, there's no one reason. Congress cut funds. Uh, but it wasn't just about money. The euphoria uh, of meeting the challenge that President Kennedy had put out to the nation in 1962, the, the euphoria of meeting that challenge and winning the space race wore off. After the first moon landing, public interest declined. You know, it's interesting. Apollo 12 was just as dangerous a mission. In fact, the rocket was struck twice by lightning as it launched, throwing off some of their, some of their systems. And it took everything that had been required before. It just wasn't as awe-inspiring. You know, it's kind of like, Mm, been there and done that. The wonder of man walking on the moon had come and gone. Until, like I did, I, I watched the story retold. And, and, and I, was a bit, I was a bit in awe. The Christmas story is filled with wonder. It really is. When we, when we think of the, of the first coming of Christ, we are reminded of, in one sense, you know, his humble coming, and we think of all the grand and glorious ways he, he, he could have come, and, you know, the humility of it all, and the, we think of, the, of, of 
you know, his being laid in a, in a manger there in, you know, where the animals would, would feed. And, 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 and that's all right and, and, and good. But sometimes, if, if we're not careful, we can, sort of, we can sort of say, well, there really wasn't anything all that spectacular about his first advent. When really, when you read the, the, the birth narratives, I mean, it is punctuated throughout with the spectacular. The, the, the narratives in, in, in Luke and in, and in Matthew, they, they are permeated with vocabulary of dramatic activity, of powerful emotions that, that are mingled with, with deep, deep thoughts. And so I'd like to just, if we could, do a, do a, do a quick survey. So if you want to go to, to Luke chapter 1, uh, for example, Luke chapter 1, we'll, we'll start there. I'm not going to read down through all of that, but I just want to highlight a few things for you down through, through, through Luke's uh, narrative here. Beginning in, in Luke chapter 1 and verse 12, where we are told that Zechariah was, was troubled. Okay, that word troubled. And, and it says, fear fell on him. Why? Well, an angel appeared to him. That's pretty dramatic. And, and, and there is this sudden, this severe emotional distress on, on Zechariah's part. What's going to happen to me? That, that's what's happening in, within his thinking, within his, within his emotional makeup. We're told down in verse 21 that the people waited for Zechariah. There is apprehension in that word. And they marveled or they wondered at his delay in the temple. What's going on in there? There's the crowds outside. They're wondering. We're told down in verse 29 that when, when Mary, when the angel appeared to Mary, she saw the, the, this angel. She was greatly troubled again. It, it, it's, it's a word of deep distress if you will, within here, just, just tremendous upset. It says that, 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 that she considered, you know, she, she considered what was being, what was being said, what, what the greeting was. She tried to discern what, was all, what, it, what it all meant. She's, she's thinking, she's reasoning with, with thoroughness, with completeness. That's the word that's used there, what's happening inside of her. Down in the next chapter, in chapter 2 and verse 9, when the angel appeared to the shepherds, they were greatly afraid. I would translate that literally, megaphobia. And then in chapter 2 and verse 10, we're told that, that suddenly, suddenly there was this multitude of the heavenly host that appeared in the light sky, in the night sky. This was not just like a dimmer switch bringing up the lights. It was sudden. It was blinding. They're in that, on, in that countryside, there in the dark of night, and suddenly the glory of the Lord is shining around them. This is dramatic. This is dramatic stuff, and it's, it's striking at the, at the innermost being of these people. Chapter 2 and verse 18, after the shepherds had seen these things, they're telling everyone, it says, that those who heard the shepherds' report wondered. They're amazed at the things that they are hearing from the shepherds. In verse 19, Mary pondered these things. This is a, this is a term of, of mental effort. She is storing this information so she can continually come back to it and use it. She was continually thinking deeply about these things that were transpiring. We're told in verse 25 that Simeon was waiting. It's a term of expectant waiting. 
concerning future events. We're told in verse 33 that Mary and Joseph marveled. They wondered. They were amazed at the things that Simeon said to them about this child. Verse 38, we're told that Anna spoke of those who were waiting expectantly for the redemption that was to come. Waiting, that, that, that's not just this, like this passing the time kind of thing. There's something going on inside of people, this expectation of what is about to happen. You can go back to the Gospel of Matthew where we have the other birth narrative. In, in Matthew chapter 1, there in, in, in that chapter, we read about Joseph, who, who had gotten word of, of Mary's pregnancy. And, and we are told there in that verse that Joseph was, Joseph was, was minded. You know, he, was, he, was, he was thinking with purpose. He's planning. He's trying to decide what to do. Verse 20, while he, while he thought on these things. I mean, the, those two words hint at a sense of some mental and emotional distress on his part. What does he do? With, with this surprising announcement of, of Mary's pregnancy. What does he do? And suddenly we're told, behold, an angel appears in a dream and tells him exactly what to do. Because his intuition, his reasoning, his, his theologizing, it was not going to put this puzzle together for him because what was happening was too awesome for that. Go down to verse 3, Matthew chapter 2, and you know the story. Herod has gotten word of this inquiry about the one born king of the Jews, and he's troubled. This is, this is emotional distress <laughs> that, as we know, the story goes on, gives way to outrage, because by verse 16, he is, he is deathly angry. Verse 10 of chapter 2, we're told that the Magi... When the light brought them to the place where Jesus was, they rejoiced. They they, they didn't just have joy. They didn't just have great joy. The text says they had exceedingly great joy. And when they entered that house, they prostrated themselves before this child and worshipped him. Can you sense a little bit? Can you sense the wonder that is in these narratives? There is a, there's a ton of emotion mingled with thoughtfulness all throughout those narratives. There's distress, there's fear, there's apprehension, there's amazement, there's careful thought, there's deep continual thought, there's sudden surprise, there's expectancy, there's outrage, there's exultant joy. Not to mention the supernatural, miraculous things that are going on, like an old couple conceiving their first child, an angel who appears, uh, who appears to multiple people. There's four dreams. There's a supernatural light, and topping it all off, a virgin conceives and God becomes man. That's pretty stupendous stuff. Heaven is literally appearing on earth. The supernatural is invading the natural world. And the glory of the Lord is shining. How can this not inspire wonder? Every time we go through the story. And yet, how easy it is to lose the wonder. How does that happen? 
How does that happen? How do we lose the wonder? I don't have all the answers to that. I, I, I don't know because I can't speak for anyone, but, but for me, and I, I suspect that in part it's because the fantastic becomes so familiar. Shouldn't be that way, but it becomes so familiar. And it can happen quickly. Apollo 11, wow. Six more missions to the moon, yawn. Except that little anomaly where Apollo 13 had that Houston, we have a problem, and all of a sudden, man, the globe, the globe tuned in again. When, fa- when fantastic things become old news, we move on. We, may, we wait for the next new and exciting thing to come along to capture our imaginations. It just, for whatever reason, seems to be, be the way these fallen beings of us were wired. The grand story of redemption becomes so familiar it gets eclipsed by fascinating and amazing stories of the world and discoveries and inventions. I mean, when Apple talks, oh, man, line up for a couple days because something amazing is about to be given. Our passions get ignited by other things. Our passions get ignited by sports, and they get ignited by politics. Sometimes it seems like Hollywood does better at moving our hearts than does, that, than does God's Spirit. So I, I think sometimes that the fantastic becomes familiar. I, I think, too, we can, we can just get jaded about life. You know, maybe it seems like you know nothing wonderful ever happens in my life. I mean, it happens to other people; it just doesn't happen for me. We're, we're, we're George Bailey stuck at the miserable Bailey Building and Loan in Bedford Falls while the dreams he once had of a wonderful life pass him by. Life doesn't seem all that wonder-filled. It's easy to lose wonder. But there's a danger in that. And the danger is this, that when we lose wonder, we tend to wander. We really do. Feel those, you know, all those bangles and baubles and shiny stuff that captures our imagination and and celebrity becomes attractive to us and trivia fills our memory banks. And it happens with the Christmas story I mean, because we, we know the story so well, and, and, and we wander through it, but we don't wonder at it. We can tell the story forwards and backwards while missing the wonder of what the story is all about. And the story is this, that a holy God entered the ugliness of our sin to serve helpless humanity through the substitutionary death of his son, Jesus, who brings us a righteousness that comes by faith alone, that results in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that fashions us into the likeness of Jesus in anticipation of the glory of Christ's return when we will face the final judgment. And when all things will come to their final end of great glory to God and eternity with him. 
these truths are the hotbed of wonder and of great rejoicing. And these truths embed the Christmas story. Which leads to this simple observation. An astronaut's footprint on the moon is mind-boggling, but it's nothing compared to God's footprint here on earth. And probably our greatest achievement, we have hopped from earth to the moon. Phenomenal until you put that in a bigger context. We really haven't gone very far. God came from the heaven of heavens to this earth. Wow. How do we recapture that wonder? Wonder is not anything that you can like make a formula for. All right. Um, I don't have a like I don't have a twelve-fold pathway to wonder. It just doesn't work that way. But let me just, as I've been again in in this story and just thinking through the, the familiarity and 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 the realization that in the familiar we can really miss what needs to be grasped. It's just really been on my mind and heart this week. So I've been thinking through what, what are some things in my own life that, that could help me recapture that wonder. I'll just give you a couple thoughts. You can jot them down if they're helpful. Good. If they're not, then come up with something. Okay? Number one, embrace mystery. Embrace mystery. A mystery is just, I've defined it this way, it's just something that's difficult or impossible to explain. God's ways are not easily explained and sometimes are impossible to understand. You know, God, God is not the sum total of your ideas about him. He's more than that. Scott Cairns uh, warns of that in in his book titled God With Us. He says this, It is probably not so good to presume that we ever complete the task of knowing God or to suppose that we, never, that, that we ever know anything about him except what he has made known to us. God cannot be exhausted by our ideas about him. He's bigger than that. God does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, for whatever purpose he wants. And trying to, trying to grasp that which has no limits, as we, as we really wrestle with that, it's in the wrestling of this reality that puts us on the ground of wonder. So let yourself wonder at the mystery of God taking on human flesh. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. You're saying, well, that doesn't sound very intellectual. It's a mystery. 
and the mysterious still exists. And, and even more, give yourself some time to wonder at why God even did it. If you can't embrace mystery, you'll hinder your own spiritual maturity. Your spiritual maturity is not all wrapped up in everything you know. It really isn't. There is mystery to it all. Mystery that comes as God works in ways that we don't see and we don't understand. So don't ever think that your knowledge, somehow you have corralled God. Because you haven't. So think about that. Here's a second, um, maybe, maybe second, that might help to uh, em- embrace the, the wonder. No, number two. Ready? Read the story again. Read the story again. And I'm going to say something I said last week. And slow down. Slow down. Read it and, you know, and what have you overlooked in the story? If there is, if you read the story, and, and listen, I, I have before, so I'm right there with you. But if, if, if you read the story and there's no wonder, ask yourself and ask the Holy Spirit, what am I missing? What am I missing? And I realize the challenge. I realize that once you know how a story turns out, reading it a second time isn't quite the same. Okay, it's like Apollo 12 following Apollo 11. There, were, there was no global tour for that crew that we can't name. Just not the same drama. But let's remember that what we are reading in God's word, this great redemptive story of which the birth narrative is a vital part, let's remember that this just is not just another story. This is God's story. This is heaven's story for earth. So read the story again. Read the story again. Here's a, just another, another thought. I'm sometimes trying to recapture some things maybe we have lost. How about reading the story through someone else's eyes? You know, okay, so, so, you know, you've read the story, like, who knows how many times, depending on how many Christmases you've had. I can't remember any Christmas in my whole life that we didn't read the story. So, so maybe, maybe you need to step out of yourself. And maybe you need to try to, to hear it afresh from someone else's point of view. Because, you see, this story is for all people. It's for all people. Okay, so I'm not trying to be clever here. I, I guess I'm calling us, maybe, maybe a little bit of wonder might be restored with a, with a little bit of empathy. 
So what about reading the story through the eyes of your neighbor? Do you know your neighbor well enough to know, like, I don't know, they, do they even read the story? Do they believe the story? I, I, I don't know, but so if not, maybe this year get to know your neighbor so you could actually try to read the story through their eyes or through the eyes of a friend. What, what, if, you, what if you read the story through the eyes of someone that you work with? It's been there at the next office or the next cubicle and maybe you've had a few conversations with them in the past year. They've opened up maybe a little bit. You know, Maybe some people that don't really know the story. What what if you're so? How, so how would I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to think if they if they open this up and they're reading the story, what would be going through their mind? What if you read What if you read the story through the eyes of an abandoned child? What if you read the story? through the eyes of an incarcerated felon. Or maybe you read the story afresh through the eyes of a single parent. Maybe through the eyes of a bullied child. Or a grieving spouse. Or a terminally terminally ill patient. What if you read the story through the eyes of a nursing home resident? What if we read the story through the eyes of an imprisoned brother or sister somewhere in this world who on Christmas morning will wake up in a cold cell? All I'm saying is that if your current life situation isn't lending itself to wonder over the awesome things happening in the nativity, then try to see it. Try to think through it from someone else's eyes who may be captivated by the wonder of it all. And maybe, just maybe, it might recapture your imagination as well. Stories for all people. So don't lose the wonder. Recapture it. Got to the end of thinking through this. I asked this question that probably is kind of important in any teaching. Well, why does this even matter? Why am I making such a big deal about having wonder over this story? Am I overstating the case? I think it matters very much because God reveals himself through wonder and he works through mystery. God reveals himself through wonder and he works through mystery. If you lose wonder, if you ignore mystery, you just might miss God. William Cooper was a noted 18th century British poet. Some of you, that matters to many of you, it doesn't. He, uh, he was a man plagued with chronic depression. He trained for the bar. 
he interviewed for, he was going to interview for a pretty significant position in the House of Lords, the British Parliament, but sort of freaked him out and he didn't do that. And he just went into chronic depression so, so deep that he, that he attempted suicide on more than one occasion and was close to being successful one time. The last 20 years of his life, William Cooper had an amazing pastor. His name was John Newton. If you don't know who John Newton is, he wrote that beloved hymn, Amazing Grace. And so they ministered together there, and John Newton uh, was instrumental in writing some hymns, collecting a hymn book, and William Cooper was a part of that. One of the, one of the poems that, that, that he wrote, and it has been set to music, was the poem, God Moves in Mysterious Ways. Maybe you haven't heard it, but let me just recite the words of this poem that became a song they sang. It speaks to what I'm just trying to help remind us of this morning. God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in his dark and hidden minds, with never-failing skill, he fashions all his bright designs and works his sovereign will. O fearful saints, now courage take. The clouds that you now dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. God's purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. God works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. Don't miss them. Don't lose them. Wait in wonder for Christmas to come when the God who made the heavens, the God against whom we have rebelled and disgraced ourselves, that God came down to visit us with salvation. See, the wonder of God in a manger is only eclipsed by the wonder of God on a cross providing for our redemption. We sang it this morning, the, the Christmas carol, Joy to the World as the Lord Has Come. It's a carol that anticipates when Christ will come to rule the world with truth and grace. And the nations will declare, what do we sing? The glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. So for now, while we wait, let us wait in that wonder. Let's wait in that wonder. God help us, I pray. This world sucks us in 
to it. See it now. Touch it now. Experience it now. Don't wait for anything kind of mindset. This world puts on a pretty fabulous show of entertainment, of talent, technology, of intelligence, of creativity, of amazing feats. And God, we can become pretty jaded to it all, and and we can begin to lose sight of the thing that is most wonderful. And and sometimes it seems we come to these things that are of greatest, greatest import. And and God, sometimes I see it in my own heart, we come with a yawn. We come looking at our clocks and saying, when's this over? We can't wait to finish reading the story so we can open the presents. God, capture our hearts afresh, I pray. Capture our imaginations with the wonder of this season. The wonder of God coming into this world. The wonder of a holy God having compassion on sinners. The wonder of an amazing God who would come and in himself, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection... Rescue us. God, everything else in this world is secondary to that. It's not that those things are unimportant. We we live real lives here in this world, but they're secondary. Fill us with wonder, I pray, by your Spirit. For a few moments, rather than trying to explain it all, might we wonder at it all. Might that flow forth, the wonder in our words one to another, our words to our spouses and children, and might that shape our attitudes? Might that be the framework of our conversations? We worship you. We wonder the awesome work of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to die that we might live. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we are going to draw our time to a close by worshiping in song and allowing this song to be our response to our God and to what he has done. But maybe your response needs to be to settle some things with the Lord. Maybe there's some issues in your life that need to be confessed. Maybe there's some issues that need to be surrendered to the Lord. Maybe you need to come to Christ today in salvation. You've been coming week after week after week, and you hear the message, but you have never, and you know it, you've never called upon Christ to be your Savior. Maybe you've made some assumptions. But you need to call upon him to be your savior. Maybe this morning you need to bow before him in wonder. Say, God, save me. You can do that right where you're seated. I'm not trying to make this thing complicated, but I also want to encourage you that if that's your need, that you slip out and come to the front because it would be very helpful 
to you to have someone open scriptures or be there with you and encourage you and answer questions you might have, to pray with you. So you respond by calling upon the Lord and you come if we can be of help. But let's respond to this God of great wonders as we sing to him. Lord, take these responses for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.